Today, this week, is our fifth birthday. Yay! <laughs> it's just funny that, that there are so few people here tonight celebrating our fifth birthday with us. It's been one of those days, though, so I knew it would be a smaller crowd. I've gotten texts all day of, I'm here, I'm there, I've got this project. That's one of the beauties of being a smaller church is people actually say, hey, I know you're going to notice I'm not there, so I'm going to let you know you're not, I'm not there. A uh, lot of uh, messages in the last couple of days of people being sick, whether or not it's COVID or not, a few of them are, a few of them haven't gotten checked, so there's a lot of that going on. And with the COVID ramping up again, I have a feeling the live stream section of the church will be picking up a little bit again over the next several weeks or months as, as this kind of makes its way through. So more people staying home just to be safe and to protect their families. So those of you who are at home watching right now or maybe watching a little bit later, glad you're here. Those of you here in person, it's still so nice to be able to preach to faces and, and sing with other people. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. So welcome uh, new friends that may be here for the first time tonight. Welcome our old friends, even those going all the way back to five years ago when we planted this church. Show of hands, who was here five years ago? Okay, <laughs> we did. It's mostly everybody. You stuck around. Thank you. And we're glad because um, not thank you that you're here and get to hear me preach or anything like that. Thank you for being a family with all the rest of us for the last five years. It really has been a good journey. Difficult questions. That's what we've been talking about as a church, kind of um, really some edgy ones and some just things that everybody struggles with. Taking a little turn tonight, we're going to stick with difficult questions, but actually for our five-year anniversary, and it's kind of fitting with, with it being more of a sparse group here tonight, the difficult question is, why church? I mean, what's, what's the point of all this? Is it worth the hassle? Is it worth the effort? Is it worth coming together? Can we just do it virtual? Why church? And then around why church, why do we do things like sing songs like we just did there? Or why do we, why do we pray? Or why do we come together like this? And we've talked about why church a lot over the last five years. Being a new church, I always have thought it's good for us to talk about why do we do the things we do as a church. So we talked about last year, you know, why we're a misfit church and what that means, or why we want to be a slow, a slow church, or why we want to be a purposely small church. We like small or how we're trying to be organic and why we want to go deeper and we want to be restful and all of that stuff. And we've talked about the formation of the church in Acts chapter 2 several times and what that looked like when the church was both birthed and inaugurated. And we've talked about letters to the church, the uh, the First Peter, Second Peter, when he writes to the churches who are suffering, or Galatians and Colossians when Paul's writing to churches. So we have talked a lot about the church. And so tonight specifically, I want to focus in on two questions. Why do we gather together in this place, and do we really need to, or can we set that aside? And number two, and I'm going to start with this difficult question, why do we sing songs? Because we're doing kind of a night of worship tonight. We're going to sing a little bit more than we typically do because we're celebrating making it five years, and so why do we come together and sing songs? Because it's kind of weird, right? Like, where else in life do you go to with a primary purpose of singing songs with other people? Anywhere? I mean, where do you go? Do you go anywhere? Here's the problem with those of you who said that. My wife says it's annoying because I did not come here to see you sing. I came to see the people on stage sing. Yes. And then, and then it's like the band's like, you're there to see Green Day. And they're like, sing it, audience. 
we're doing their job for them. It's like, I came, I paid good money to hear you sing. Why do we sing in churches? Why do we do this weird thing? And I'll give you the churchy answer to start with, we, and it's the right answer. We sing to honor God. Plain and simple. Revelations chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. It says, and when he, this is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, when he had taken it, and they're talking about the scroll. Nobody knows exactly what the scroll is, but it's God's full story of human history. It's judgment, it's redemption, it's all written out. That's what this scroll represents. It says, when Jesus had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, these are just creatures that are in John's vision, and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Which is kind of what we sang about in that song this morning. It says, each one had a harp. Usually if you have a harp, there's music, there's singing involved. And they were holding golden bowls full of incense, incense arise, which are prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. So prayers and songs are linked together. And here's the song. It says, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Again, prayers, singing, they're incense, they're rising up to glorify God, they're synonymous, and this is described as this incense to God. Malachi chapter 1 verses 11 says, My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations. In the Old Testament, if you've read much of it, um, these offerings are usually meat, an animal that's been cut up and, and cut into pieces, quartered or, or however they're doing, and it's laid upon the altar. And that altar, it says, is pleasing. The smell of the incense of that meat is pleasing to God. I just got a big green egg a couple of weeks ago. When I put steaks on the big green egg, I can tell you that smell is pleasing. I get it, God. I, I know why that would be a pleasing incense. So the Bible says our prayers and our singing linked together are that. They're incense. They're pleasing to God, but they're infinitely greater. And so the singers here in the room tonight, those of you who are, love singing, love music, you're right, that's right, singing, that, that's worshiping God. But we're a little bit more introverted church, so I know I've got some people that don't like to sing here so much, and you're like, hey, hang on, singing isn't the only way to worship God. That's a true story. Bible is clear that worship involves our whole lives. That means that it isn't primarily about music or songs or lyrics. Worship is about our hearts. It's about what, and more importantly, who we love more than anything and how we express that love. And so the question is, why do we sing? Why is our singing incense to God? Let's go to another Old Testament book. Zephaniah, he's a minor prophet, says... Um, He's talking, and, and stuff's not going all that great for Judah, for the people of God. And so as this book starts, it's a real good one. For three chapters, he just goes on and on and on about the day of the Lord, meaning judgment day, when God's anger will burn down and the earth will be consumed. It's an uplifting story. And so it's pretty bleak, but before that judgment rains down upon the land, he does include this little burst of hope. Chapter 3, verse 7, he says, The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. God not only saves us, it says in this verse, 
But as he saves us, he rejoices over us with singing, meaning God sings over us. And so I thought this week, and I was talking to Brandy earlier, I'm like, what kind of songs does God sing? I mean, I don't have any idea, but here's the thing. God is three in one. He's a trinity, so it's three-part harmony, no doubt about it. He's got this big, beautiful voice. It has to be amazing. The Bible says we love God because God first loved us. And so we could take that a step further and say then we sing to God because God first sang to us. We are people created in the image of God. And so when we sing, we are mirroring back the character and attributes of God. 400 verses and references in the uh, Old Testament about God's people singing, including the New Testament there. There's over 50 commands, commands to sing. Again, go to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14. It says, sing, daughter Zion, that's the people of God, shout aloud, Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. And so when we sing, where does the singing come from? It comes from our heart. It says, be glad and rejoice with all your heart. And so when we sing to God, doesn't matter how in tune we are, doesn't matter if you've got perfect pitch or not, doesn't matter what style of music you sing, what matters to God is that we sing from our hearts. And when we sing from our hearts, it means we sing with humility and it means we sing with honesty. And so we sing to glorify God. We sing because God first sang to us. This is what we call vertical worship. We're worshiping God. We're giving Him glory and praise. But in our singing, there is a horizontal component as well. Let's go to the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Do not get drunk on wine. Drunk. What happens when you get drunk? At least the first couple times maybe, I, I think, you know, you, you are in a better mood, you're happy and giddy or whatever. Now it's artificial happiness and it's happiness that doesn't last and there's some terribly bad side effects to that better mood or happiness. But Paul says, do not get drunk on wine. And then he juxtapositions over to, instead of getting drunk, sing songs to each other. Don't get drunk on wine instead sing songs to each other. Maybe Paul has been hitting the sauce as well when he writes this, but here's, here's where he's going with this. I mean, lay this out. The church is a place where we consume something. We come into the church and we consume, not alcohol, not wine, we consume the gospel. The gospel is good news. It's the best news ever that we've been saved. Good news makes people happy in a much better way than alcohol. And happy people sing. And even sad people sing songs to give them hope. So he's comparing the two. But let's take it a step further. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. It says, let the message of Christ. That's that gospel message, the good news. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Cool. How are we going to admonish each other with all wisdom? Teach each other with all wisdom. It says, through psalms, which are songs, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. So Paul has connected our vertical worship and our horizontal worship. He says, when we sing, we are teaching one another. When we sing, we are admonishing one another. Well, how can that be? Let's say you come in at night and there's a sin that you're struggling with and you think you're alone and, and we sing the song, Oh to Grace, How Great a Debtor, Daily I'm Constrained to Be, and the person next to you is singing that and you realize 
man, I'm not the only one that struggles with sin. We're all indebted to grace. Or maybe you come in and you're struggling with fear and you hear everybody around you just lifting up and singing, I'm no longer a slave to fear because I'm a child of God. And you know that person next to you and you're like, they should be afraid. So if they're praising that, then I need to praise that too. Or maybe, maybe you think you're the only one in the room that struggles with doubts about God and struggle with your faith. And, and we open up with, in my wrestling, in my doubt, in my failures, you won't walk out. And you're encouraged by the singing horizontally of the others in the room. I know I was encouraged. This was about a month ago. Tom Stanek had finally gotten back on stage. First time he had sang and helped lead worship in such a long time. Y'all know Tom has battled through cancer and he's won and come out the other side. But he's up here singing and he's leading a new song for us. It's when darkness tries to roll over my bones. When sorrow comes to steal the joy I own. When brokenness is pain is all I know. I won't be shaken. No, I won't be shaken. That is powerful to have him sing that and teach and admonish me. When we sing together, when we hear each other's voices, when our voices begin to swell in unison together, we know that we're not alone in this walk, in this relationship with Christ. Singing is one of those things. It's kind of like friendship that we talked about a few weeks ago. It's not actually necessary for existence. I mean, singing, if you think about it, is really kind of impractical. It doesn't serve specific purpose as it comes to our evolutionary design. Steven Pinker, he's a cognitive psychology, he called music the auditory cheesecake, which I like that. Music is the auditory cheesecake. He says, music is a useless byproduct of natural selection, a wasteful use of our brain's resources that brings pleasure but serves no evolutionary purpose for the species. That's if you have an evolutionary worldview. But we don't. And so singing is so built, we believe, into our DNA that from the very age we're born, little Trip was running around here earlier. I guarantee you can answer. Do you guys sing songs to Trip? And what does Trip do when you sing songs to him? He moves, he dances. There is something intrinsic about music singing in our DNA. He wants his mommy and daddy sing to me. And then he begins, twinkle, twinkle, little. He begins to sing with you. See, singing, there is this musical connection. Whoops, to the super. I like music. <laughs> music, there's a connection to the supernatural because it serves no purpose. It's really impractical. And so when we sing, it gives us this weird, even if we don't know it, connection to the supernatural. That's why when you sing, you know, you get the goosebumps sometimes or chills down your spine or you have this you know, physiological response to the music. And so on good days, singing helps express our joy. We know that on a bad day, singing can help us through the day. What is music? It's just random sounds, right? It's just varying pitches up and down. It's varying rhythms. That's what it is. It's sound, it's pitches, it's rhythms. But there's something supernatural about it. It's a reminder that there's things that we can't see, things that we can't feel, things that we can't touch that still have meaning, purpose, and existence. And so singing can help grow our faith. And so as we study Scripture, as impractical as singing is in the present for those that say it has no purpose for our species, there is nothing more practical to do than sing in preparing us for eternity. See, singing is a glimpse. It's that taste of a future when every tribe, tongue, and nation will sing our praises to God with God with this thunderous roar that we can seldom fathom or imagine. 
And so those goosebumps that you feel during the song, the hair when it stands up on the back of your neck, those tears of joy that you've experienced as we've sang, it's but a foretaste of glory divine that we sing when a church comes together as the church, the universal church, to sing with our Savior face to face. Psalm 19, 1 through 4, I had a friend post it to Facebook when he saw a sunset this week. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They have no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voices go out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. The natural world is singing. We don't hear it. But the natural word is singing praise to God. And so, yes, a sunset sings of God's goodness because it happens day after day. The stars, because they're billions of light years away, they sing of the majesty and glory of God. Scripture says even the rocks cry out in song to God. Story in Luke 19, Jesus is near the end of his life and he comes into town, you know, on the donkey. Verse 37, it says, when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices. That's singing, by the way, for all the miracles they had seen. Verse 38, here's what they sang. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So people are singing as Jesus rides in on a donkey. And then it says in verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples because they were singing. They shouldn't have been singing. He says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. And so I just want to be clear, God doesn't need your singing. He doesn't need your songs. He doesn't need our music tonight. The angels worship God. The stones cry out to worship God. The stars worship God. The ocean roar His greatness day in, day out. The universe is this beautiful symphony of praise to God. But God invites us, little old me, little old you, into that song. And so tonight, if you want to mirror God, I want to give you an opportunity to sing. If you want to be obedient to God's commands, sing. If you want to glorify God, sing. If you want to teach the person next to you, sing. If you want to encourage someone tonight, sing. If you want to humble your heart before God, sing. So won't you stand? Here's your chance. Let me pray and we're going to sing a little bit. Father God, we thank you for this time together this evening. We thank you for each and every person in this place. There is no mistake in your sovereignty. And so we know we are all here for a reason and a purpose tonight. God, as we sing, as we play music as we lift up our voices, it is only and solely for you. And so clear our minds of the distractions. God, I pray for those who are listening online right now. We know how hard it is or really impossible it is to sing along. But if they can just lift up their voices as well as we sing, God, I pray for them who aren't with us here tonight. God, we love you. We thank you for your grace, your mercy. And so tonight we sing out with all creation in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Anyone remember 2020? <laughs> What'd you say? Somebody say weird year. Yeah, that's what I have written in my notes. It just says weird year, right? Weird, weird year. I mean, we're on the same page, man. Weird year. Remember how we did church, right? <laughs> we're doing it a little bit again tonight. It's back to the live streaming thing. 
And when we started that, it's kind of funny, like we were not a church that was live streaming. It was never our ambition. And so we didn't have all the gear and all the stuff set up. And so I'm sitting in my home office trying to live stream. I live out in Alva. Our internet is not too fast out there. And so if you remember, you know, it's all jittery and we're trying to live stream and it's just not really working. So we moved to my agency, which is here in town, faster Wi-Fi, and we started streaming some services from there. And when the live streaming thing started, some really welcomed that change. They're like, this is cool. The church has moved outside the building. The church is in a building. It's the people. And a lot of people in church leadership, they started saying, look, we save money on rent or mortgages and building expenses. I mean, we, we have an unlimited potential. If we start live streaming, we're not limited by, you know, a 500-seat auditorium. We can have 5,000 people online, 20,000 people online. And so it's just all this great stuff that we started talking talking about with live streaming. Now, of course, for that to be successful, you needed a really engaging production team to put that together. And so very quickly in a lot of churches, the tech gurus became the best people in the church. I know for us, like when we started back up, Jeff Furman is like, ah, you like tech? You are the man. You are top dog. We'll give you whatever and anything that you want. So it's awesome, right? We could watch church from the beach, We could watch church from a hotel room. We did when we were traveling. We're down in the Keys and, you know, watch church from down there. If your kids did travel ball, you know, you could watch church from there. You didn't have to do it at a certain time because church is at 530, but it's recorded. So you could go on YouTube, catch it later. When you got around to it, it was really convenient. But what we've learned since then is perhaps it was a little too convenient. You didn't have to watch your own church's service. You could drop in on the church down the street, see how they're doing. So we'll do that this week. And if that wasn't like entertaining enough, you could check out Hillsong Church. They have the best worship of any church that I know. And so you could, they're the ones who write half the songs that we sing. And you could actually see them performing those songs. And it was well produced. And, you know, that was great over there. And then you could check out Tim Keller's, my favorite preacher in all the world. He's 10,000 times the preacher I'll ever be. So you could get your preaching from Mr. Keller. Heck, you didn't, you didn't even have to do music and, and preaching at the same church. You could do some music from over here because you liked it. And you could do some preaching from over here and you just start kind of to build your own church. And if you wanted to, you could skip a week and nobody knew, or you could skip two weeks or you could skip 20 weeks and nobody really knew. Virtual church is what we called it. It's a terrible word. That is an oxymoron. Virtual church. The church was never meant to be virtual. Assembly for the church is required. See, when when Jesus started the church at Pentecost, it wasn't like, hey, we're going to start this thing and it's going to go along here for 2,000 years. But when Zoom comes in, we don't have to do that anymore. It goes totally virtual. That's it. Here's how Jesus works. He died. He rose from the grave. What's he do? First thing he does, he assembles his disciples together face to face and he has a meal with them. Here's some statistics we're learning now from 2020, half of practicing Christian millennials didn't watch their churches live stream during the shutdown. And since virtual church has kind of ended and we started regathering, statistics say one in three Christians, 30% or so, have stopped attending church altogether, whether it's in person or whether it's online. So maybe more options, more convenience, more isolation doesn't lead to more commitment and connection. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ, speaking to the people of the church, and each of you is a part of it. 
It's this metaphor. We hear it often. The, the church is a body. The body isn't the same when you separate out members and keep them in different places. And so you got a feet over here and you got a ear over here and eyes over here. When it's all separated, it doesn't work that well. The whole body works a whole lot better when it's assembled together in one place at one time. And so as I thought about the last five years, as we've kind of built this church and been a part of this church, and we've gathered together every Saturday night in this room, we need to hear babies cry. Even if it's back there and it's coming and bleeding across, we need to hear that. And we need to watch the parents like, oh crap, that's my baby and run out of the room. And we need to, we need to see that. We need to see the reddened eyes of the person who went through that worship set and something moved them and something's going on in their lives. We need to see that in person. We need to talk to that friend who is still fighting addiction. We need to notice when someone comes in and they just seem off. We need to gather so we can share the sacraments of communion. During the COVID outbreak, I remember that very first week, no idea what to do, never had live streamed anything before, and we did communion that week together as a church, and I said, go get your, you know, toaster strudels or whatever and use it as the bread, and I mean, people were sharing, they had biscuits and gravy, and they were trying to use the gravy as, as the food and the juice, and it was really, really weird stuff going on. And that's all fine and okay, but I realized really quickly how unbiblical to do communion separated like that truly is. Because communion was meant to be a meal that was eaten together. And so that second week when we were off, I said, no, we're not going to do communion together again until we gather together in this place. And it was a beautiful thing in August when we relaunched. And I think there might have been four or five families here, but we did communion. We had that meal together with eyes and ears and feet all in one place. We need to hear each other sing for the reasons I talked about earlier. Music was a challenge during COVID. That's why I prayed for those people who are at home right now. Easter 2020, it's crazy. We had like 4,000, 5,000 viewers of our Easter service in 2020. That's when I was thinking, hey, maybe there's something to this live stream thing. We opened that service. I don't know how many remember. Me and Presley do because we kind of put it together. We opened that service with the song, Raise a Hallelujah. And so what we did is we took our phone recorded me playing the piano. Then I texted it to Presley, and she played her part and sang her part. And we texted that over to Jamie, and he played, and he sang his part. And then we put it all together, and it worked okay. It was kind of a cool little project to do, and that's how we opened that service. And it, it was kind of respectable and special, and it was okay. But you know what? I know most of you did not sing along at home. You listen, you said, oh, that's cute. Presley's playing the guitar. She's really coming along. That Jamie, that guy can sing. But you did not sing the songs, and you certainly did not sing them with the body of Christ gathered together. Why do we go to church? Why do we gather together? Well, because it's commanded in Scripture. Because we need that rhythm, that weekly um, getting together. We can't build friendships and relationships without that consistency. Singing, as I said, does not work well virtually. Communion spread out is unbiblical. But there's one more reason we gather together. It's because we go to church because we're forgetful. All of us are forgetful. Some of us worse than others. Throughout Scripture, God is uniquely concerned, it seems, about our memory. He ends so many commands with, do not forget. Remember this. Deuteronomy 8, do not forget God's deliverance. Do not forget God's provision. Ezekiel 13, remember God's faithfulness. And there's just countless others. 
Hurricane Irma was our second year together as a church. And I'm just kind of reflecting this week on, on just different times we've had together as a church. And it's funny that, you know, we got Fred bearing down upon us now and we got Grace, Grace coming behind, which hopefully Grace gives us some grace and, and does not bear down too hard upon us. But Hurricane Irma's coming, and if I remember right, and I don't have the best of memories, but I think it was a Sunday that Irma hit, and so we didn't have church that Saturday, so everybody could put up their shutters and get their homes ready and all that stuff. I remember sticking a sign, or I think I had Jeff or Tanya stick a sign on the front door and said, we're closed tonight, no church. And then, of course, Irma hit, and there's devastation everywhere. Most of us, I think, were without power. I know I was that entire week. And so uh, it was a tough week, and there's just damage and devastation. It's hard going through a hurricane, no matter how many times you've been through one. This building here was without power. Actually, Jeff Herman and I remember getting together. We're trying to figure out the power because you could flip on a light switch and a light would come on, but nothing else would work. And if you turned something else on, then the lights would go off. So I guess it was called a brownout. We had limited power. And so we're trying to figure out, well, what do we do for church? Maybe we just take another week off. But instead, we said, let's gather together. We sit right out there. There's a picture of it. We sit right out there in the lobby. And I will tell you, of all five years here together of a church, it was my absolute favorite service that we ever had. A show of hands, how many of you here were, were here that night? Yeah, a handful of us were here. There weren't a lot of us. There's maybe 30 or so, 40 of us out there in the lobby. And we gathered together. We had enough power, thankfully, to turn on some fans. So you see some fans in the picture. That's all we had, though. We brought out the acoustic guitar. Remember the kid that was playing drum? He got a box of straws out of the closet uh, because it sounded like a snare drum, and he hit the box of straws. It's kind of like this cajon here, but much cheaper and less fancy than that. We came together, and I preached a, a little short sermon, just kind of a, a real informal type thing, and it, it was about, you know, the 10,000 reasons we still have to be thankful. And so we sang that song, and then we went around the room, and just everybody shared with each other their reason for still being thankful, or things they had saw that week that, that was a God-inspired type thing. And it was just this beautiful moment of everybody sharing, and it really just summed up who we are as a church, that, that small, intimate style of church. And so whether it's COVID, when we need to remember that we can still sing in the middle of those kinds of storms, or whether it's a literal storm like Irma, where we need to remember that we do still have 10,000 reasons to be thankful, or whether it's whatever storm that you're going through in your life right now, we gather together as a church because from time to time we all suffer from spiritual amnesia. And so we need to remember, and so we gather together. We gather to sing and encourage one another. We gather to hear God's teaching about grace and mercy. We gather to be reminded so that we do not forget over and over and over that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor present nor future can separate us from the love of God. We've always needed church to help us remember. Since the beginning of the church 2,000 years ago, we've needed the church to help us remember, but perhaps we need it even more than ever. Life has sped up. Our attention spans continue to shrink and shrink. Every day we are pulled a hundred different directions. But God still says, remember me. Carve out a day of the week to be powerfully reminded that I am yours and you are mine. And so I want to do that now. I want to remember that together. A verse of remembrance, 1 Corinthians 11 Verse 23 says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he, gave, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
Verse 25 says, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Tanya, we have emblems? Okay. We do have emblems here. They're harder to get now with COVID. Everything seems to be harder to get now with COVID. But we're going to eat those emblems tonight. And so as we sing this first song, and we're going to do it kind of like we did that night where we were out in the lobby and, and did the 10,000 reasons and remembered that. We're going to do it just real simple and stripped back. As we sing that song, they're going to begin passing out those emblems. Don't eat them. Don't drink them. Just hold on to them. At the end of the song, I want to come back and drink it and eat it together as a church as we remember what Christ did for us, as we remember the sacrifice he gave to give us new birth into this new family, that we are all sons and daughters, that we are all brothers and sisters, as we remember that we've been doing this church thing together for five years, as we remember we still have 10,000 reasons plus to sing. So hold on to those emblems and I'll come up and we'll take those together. So Romans 8, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those were the words of the Bible, but they are the words that our pastor Brian responded to the email that my wife and I sent him before we even would step in the doors of refuge. He went on to explain that refuge is just that. It's a refuge. And it is here for God. It is here to allow all believers to worship Jesus. And that's what we did. We came. We were brave. Not so much in our Bible study the first time. Sorry. We were really awkward. But we came. <laughs> it's true. <sighs> we need a Bible study do-over on Wednesdays. Um, <laughs> anyways. So we came. We loved it. Brian allowed us to start serving. We started serving. Thank you so much. Because... A part of Brian's explanation was that this church is for misfits, and that is definitely how we felt. The Bible in Galatians 3.28, it says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And we have found that that is true of this church, because if you think about it, there are probably millions of different opinions about all sorts of things in this church, probably more than the hairs I have on my head. And we have a lot of, I have a lot of hairs on my head. So there's a lot. However, we are united in Jesus Christ. We're okay with having those hard discussions, with having those, 
you know, differing views. We're okay with that. We're okay with that because we're unified in Christ. Revelation 7, 9 through 11 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Can you even imagine what heaven is going to be like? We're going to feel really silly when we realize that none of all that other stuff doesn't matter. Jesus matters. Jesus, everything came from God and everything, all the glory needs to go back to him. And we will spend eternity worshiping him in all the different ways that we worship. Can you even imagine that? And the funny thing is, is that he is worthy of that and more. He's worthy of literally an eternity of praise and us exalting him. Every living creature, everything he created will join this chorus and worship him. I can't wait till Refuge Church is there, right? And we're like, oh my gosh, I remember you. That's crazy. Just imagine it. He's worthy of it all. Please stand and sing with us. That is right, Father God, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, you deserve all the glory. And we can't thank you enough for allowing us to be a part of it. Lord God, we don't deserve that. But you in your love and your grace made it possible. Lord God, I pray that Refuge Church would be a church that makes a joyful noise in all things that we do, Father. I pray that your gospel, the gospel of Christ, would just radiate from us. And that when people come here or people see us, I pray, Father God, that they would know that we are a church that seeks after you. Please guide us and direct us. We have our eyes focused on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.